Okay, I gotta tell you right now. What? We've had some issues every once in a while, once every 20 or so podcasts. Generally, I will mess something up. <laughs> every one or 200 episodes, you'll mess something up. I was listening to Trained, the Nike podcast today. Yeah. Even the great Nike company couldn't save their podcasting guy from having his microphone backwards. For real? The dude had... Yeah, so he had to set up his core setup because now he can't go into the Nike headquarters. He has to do the podcast in his closet. Right. And it was just like, hey, everybody, just wanted to welcome you into the <laughs> Nike podcast. And I was like, yes. And he even had to say, like, before the podcast started, because he does the intro like you do. Because I just wanted to give you a heads up. I was still working out my sound. And I was like, no, you weren't. You turned the microphone around. I know because I've done it. Oh, I love it. I mean, this is such a strange backpedaling of technology this, these past few weeks. I mean, even watching totally. CNN, I see like scientists come on all of a sudden, their faces turn into like weird, smeary, surreal blobs. I'm like, whoa, totally. what is going on? <laughs> I've seen I've seen people, like weather people at home, they're like, no, no, I can I can green screen at home. It'll be fine. And I'm like, well, you're wearing a mirrored belt buckle, <laughs> so now I can see through your belly button straight to the back of the screen. I kind of love it's it. It's just, it's been kind of interesting. I mean, I, I'm, we're like, we've been screwing it up like you guys said since the beginning it's our business model be bad at what you do and it don't doesn't matter (laughs) that way when everyone else comes down to our level we actually rise to the top because we've been screwing up for way longer than they have so you went searching for someone else to make them the same mistake as you so you could feel better about yourself no i did not i just happened to run into it I happened to run into it this morning. You know, Googled <laughs> microphone backwards podcast. <laughs> Let's just be clear. You backwards the mic first, okay? <laughs> I did it. I did it most recent. Oh, man. I talked over it. I was like talking over it. It wasn't backwards. It was just like okay. throwing my voice over it. I did see you just double check the screen to make sure you were doing it right just now. Always. Always. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough accusing each other. How are you doing, buddy? So you, you got in some time with that Masters of Maple trash talk snare? I did. Yeah. So the the Charlie Watts um, sounds alike project, which actually turned out to be more of like the Who meets the Rolling Stones, if you can imagine that. Wow. That's awesome. So the guitars were a little bit more like Who, like Anthem kind of guitars. Cool. But the drums were maybe a little bit more, maybe like late later era Who, where it's not Keith Moon. But yeah, the trash talk 5 by 14 worked on every freaking song it's it's just a great drum and i do believe there's still some available for their covid19 uh, music cares relief fund awesome. i believe so go to their website check it out if you want to check it out. i think they are the, these are more expensive than the original release i think they're a thousand bucks but all the proceeds are going to help out musicians who've lost their livelihood so it's it's a worthy cause if you got the cash and if you want a drum that i can verify is one of the finest drums i've ever played Go check it out. Wow. That's cool. I mean, that for it to become a commercial, but I literally used it for 11 songs in the past three days. No, I think it's really important for both of us to be able to freely speak about the gear that we use, even if it sounds like a commercial where it's like, look, I have, that's why I always, if I have a snare that I'm really digging on, I'm always trying to make it well aware. Like I have a, just like you, I have a rack of snares. If I'm choosing to use this one six or seven days out of the week, and then all of a sudden it just is the snare or is the ride or is the crash or is the highest. It's like, I, yeah, I, let's talk about it. I don't care if I'm endorsed by it or not or if we have a contest for them or not. Uh, but, no, I think it's important to do that stuff. So camp camp update. I saw so we did our first virtual one. camp. 
doing another one, but I'm splitting it up between two days, taking okay. it easy on myself. Uh, well, kind of taking it easy on myself. It's uh, starting at 7 a.m. is our start time, so that means i got to be here at about 5 a.m. to get mm. all the cameras set up and really, really make sure all the tech's working. Then we'll probably start streaming it at about 6.45 so that the 10 attendees have about 15 minutes to double-check that they're tech is working like you know you kind of have to go through the do you see the video do you see my drum set mm, do you I hear the song yeah, that's playing yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite yeah, part with like, these web conferences can you hear me yeah, no. yeah hey can you turn your mic off you're feeding back all right can you hear me oh god me? <laughs> yeah i mean at least with us it's just send it out and if they have a working device that can connect to the internet we should be fine but still because they're paying for it i don't want to just assume like i'm sure you guys are fine we are archiving everything so yeah so i'll be doing that this weekend and so why uh, early is that because you have people in europe from overseas yeah Yeah. so even that puts us in the middle of the day for them going into the early evening yeah Uh, so it'll be 7 to 11 on saturday it'll end with a zoom call 7 to 11 on sunday it'll end with a zoom call and so it's four hours of streaming for me um and than that zoom call but the zoom call is honestly i you know i was really trying to decide do we just allow everyone to come in and get rid of the zoom calls or do we keep it at 10 people and try to make it personal and as soon as that first camp was over it was like we have to have the zoom calls that's the only way we know each other and we can see each other mm-hmm. in and we can see their kits and it's like i don't know i already know right i've had so much interaction with that first batch of campers online that there's already a special bond of like dude we we did that thing that was mm-hmm. crazy you guys committed to drum set for eight hours of your day on a, on a saturday that's amazing so i don't want to lose that part so yeah that's coming up uh saturday and sunday so it should be fun nice so have we talked about what you're doing with your your actual camp season what happened with it oh good no we haven't um yeah i just threw caution in the wind we've actually had four camps we just didn't publicize it because it's illegal <laughs> How many people die? I'm in camp right now. <laughs> Shut up, Jeremiah. Keep it down. So dark. <laughs> uh, so no, we uh, what we did was our camp season was supposed to start in April. We ended up pushing everything back. So we're pretty much going from the very last week in July. That's going to be our first camp. And we go all the way into January. So oh, really... Okay. This year will probably be almost like a year-round camp because we'll stop in January. I'll have a little break, and then we'll start up again in April for 2021 season. But, uh, you know, the only thing I can see happening is maybe some of the international people won't be able to come. We might move them to a different camp. So maybe Mm -hmm. the first two or three camps are all from the U.S. for travel reasons. But at the moment, that's where things stand. Uh, The last camp in July is now our first camp which I'm super, super stoked about. How you doing over there, bud? I'm just making sure it looked like my uh, light flickered a bit. It's all good. I'm going to be checking in <laughs> every once in a while. And that's why, uh, because my freaking FaceTime is ringing. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. right so, no, one um, that. no one heard that. It was just a spam call. <laughs> all good. All good. Um but yeah, so I the one thing that I'm actually really excited about, and I don't know if it'll change camps for the future, but we, you've been here. We have great, we have a great area. We're on the river mm-hmm. in Folsom, California. 
we never get to use it. It's too hot during camp season. And, you know, it, it could be 110 on a normal day in August here. Yeah. So the campers get here at 10 a.m. They're already sweating at 10 a.m. because they've been standing outside waiting for me to open the door. And then when we even when we want to go to lunch, we're like, where's the closest place we can get to and not have to be outside in 110 degrees. <laughs> but every once in a while, we have these magic camps, you know, that happen in April, happen later in the year where it's like, dude, you guys want to go practice at the river? Yeah, grab your pads. Let's go to the river. Yeah. Well, I only get like two out of 10 camps that I get to do that for now. It's going to be the opposite. I'll have July and August will be a little hot. And then it'll be September, October, November, December. Yeah. Let's go down to the river. Let's warm up. Let's have our morning meeting on the river, sitting on the rocks, talking about your future like that. I, I'm I'm kind of thinking that might change things a little bit because I'll probably come home to Amber and be like, babe, we, we have to do it in a weather where we can take advantage of the scenery around here. I hate being trapped in here all day. As you long know? as people can get there because they're not snowed in, um, that would be whatever problem <laughs> so is the Figure. merchandise for 2020 21 going to be face masks <laughs> uh yeah so in april we ordered 200 bottles of mikeslessons.com logoed sanitizer uh <laughs> that gets here in june uh they were like we're a little backed up and i was like hey get it out now it's gonna get worse that was in april when i ordered that so i have 200 bottles of that and then everyone can have face masks if they want them. I, you know, social it's, distancing sticks. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Anyways, it's going to be awesome. We have a lot to get to. We you do. ready to get into this? Yeah. Let's said, talk some education. I said let's not screw around, and I think we just wasted ten minutes. So, Sweet. what's up, everybody? Let's talk about drums. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about this little exercise that I call the get out of jail free exercise. So. This educational topic is based around sticking. And I, I was thinking, uh, Mike and I try to come up with an educational topic every week, and I was thinking, are stickings rudiments? And are all rudiments built out of stickings? And it's like, well, then where do things like flams come in? Where do roughs, drags, texture, ghost notes, dynamics? So it's like, well, stickings are their own thing, but what's the big value in stickings? And obviously, because we have multiple surfaces, you can make some really cool sounds just by using your sticking. So if you played paradiddles on a snare with no accents, it doesn't really sound like much other than single strokes. You move that right hand over to the floor tom, now you have a completely new sound because of the sticking pattern. But also, one of the biggest things that I see when people try to improvise on the kit, when it falls apart, is when they go to upside down jail and that mm. means that they're playing around the drums everything's good they add in one bass drum because they heard this term linear so they add in a kick and now the right hand is on the e's and the uhs and the left hand is on the downbeats and the ands right and they do not know how to get out of it and stickings will get you out of this so easy if you just practice it it also allows you to learn to accept the e's and the uhs i don't know how this happens to all of us as drummers N- none of us are exempt from this but at some point in our development, we tell ourselves that the E's and U's suck. They're harder. Yeah, They're not harder. They're less familiar. They, mathematically, they're the same distance yeah. than the downbeats and the ends. They're just less familiar. I mean, maybe if you're like grow up in Ghana or Cuba, it's not that big yeah. of a deal. <laughs> exactly. It's just like telling a jazz drummer who's played jazz their whole life to play the hi-hat on one and three. They're like, I can't. My foot just won't do it. It's like, oh, well. Oh wait! Before Downbeat we go on, I, let's unpack that. Is it because we learn the rhythmic pyramid in such a duple way, and it's you know whole notes, half notes, quarter notes? 
eighth notes. You don't learn to sixteenths until the next step. So well, the ends become subordinate to the the and the downbeats, right? Yeah, and sense? yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I think what happens is a lot of teachers when they're teaching sixteenth notes, they say, "Okay, this is really easy." All you have to do, remember those eighth notes we learned? We're going to do that with your right hand. Now, without ever changging that, you're going to just put the left hand in between it. Yeah. Yay! But it's like, but you're still focused on that right hand, mm-hmm. you know? And even when I'm playing 16th notes, as a as a kid, my voice would accent the down, like one E and a two E and a, I wasn't like one E and a two E and a three. I wasn't learning that. Mm-hmm. Then I remembered I could put my bass drum anywhere I wanted, unless it had to go between the hi-hats in a groove. Those were the E's and the U's. Mm-hmm. That sucked. Same thing with ghost notes. Now I got to bring in my left hand. It has to go in between. Those are the E's and the U's. They're bad. They're they're just they're not good people. But they're they're just unfamiliar friends. How it's all good. Un- how do you undo that? Should we teach sixteenth notes first? Should that be the first thing we teach as a grid? Like start with <sighs> Man, a grid. That's such a good question. I, I think the the most important thing is early on getting exercises in that value the E's and the U's equally. And, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I think a grid is the best way to do that because then it gives you four one-bar exercises. Accent the downbeats, mm-hmm. accent the E's, accent the ands, accent the U's. Then eventually, can you do that same grid while just counting the downbeat? Can you be the pulse, but you're still accenting the E's, the ands, and the U's? It, it, it's just something that's it's kind of weird. And if you think about music, I mean, really – most music, unless you're listening to really up-tempo ska, where you th- it almost feels like it's the E's and the U's, even though it's just fast ands, mm-hmm. when do we really get to emphasize the E's and the U's? And you don't. So what I wanted to do was, instead of emphasizing them where you think they go, which is the left hand, that's the other part. That's why stickings are so important. Mm-hmm. I wanted to purposely flip you over to, uh-oh, now my right hand is on the E's and the U's. And it's like, that's fine. So if you take a look at this sticking exercise, which I know you guys all have open on your phone right now. <laughs> Sorry, I just went into fullmikeslessons.com mode and realized they can't see this. <laughs> and I'm like staring at it on the screen. So I'm like, yeah, yeah of course, let's go. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> okay, so what I've got for you guys is, and we will put the GrooveScribe links in the uh, show notes so you guys can actually see this and work on it yourself. We've just got one measure of 16th notes, right hand lead. That's it. One, and you're accenting the right hand. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. Then on bar two, you just start with an a left. So what happens is you end up with this double left going from the a of four on the first bar into the downbeat of one on the second bar. And that switches you to now your right hand's on the E's and us. So the whole thing sounds like this. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. And then you have two lefts at the end to start the whole thing over. So I'm going to show you guys an audio example of this. I play it on the snare for a while against a pulse with my left foot. I think that's really important. If you want to understand the E's and the U's, you're going to have to put a pulse in somewhere. It could be your bass drum playing quarter notes, your left foot playing quarter notes, or if you don't have the independence yet to do that, then just have your metronome do it, and that's just fine. But you have to be playing this against something to feel it really go against the pulse. So I'm going to play it for you guys on the snare drum a little bit, and then I'll move my right hand over to the floor tom so you can hear it even more, and then I'll start moving it around the kit, and you'll hear how, oh yeah, if I just practice that one exercise, that could really get me out of some trouble, and that's why I call it the get-out-of-jail-free exercise. So let's give it a listen.
Your kit sounds like my uh, Charlie Watts kit. Oh, I turned. I actually used my internal muffles on my toms and my snare for that. Ah, okay. Yeah. Sounds like my and old I changed up my mic one. setup. Yeah, yeah. To- I I was kind of just going for that. I went away from using the same mic as overhead and kick. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I wonder how much room I'm actually getting from that kick mic that is really just a large diaphragm condenser sitting in front of my bass room. So I swapped out to a. Sure, Beta 52. No, I didn't Audio-Technica. What I swapped out to was a Audio-Technica bass drum something mic. <clears throat> but anyways, let's say that if I just couldn't find mine and I what I had laying around was a Beta 52. Yeah! <laughs> well, I'm I mean, doing some... <laughs> what did you hear? I mean, let's just say you, you took the large diaphragm condenser and swapped it for a, for a cardiac mic. A cardio-dynamic yeah. mic. Yep. It was just that... All of a sudden, I had this one room sound from my overhead, and, and room is a kind of the wrong term. I had just overhead sound, but I heard my whole drum set, and then all of a sudden, that kick drum was just so focused. There was no bleed. So the mixing was so much easier because there was no bleed whatsoever. And I mean, latency, you don't, I mean, not latency, um, phase, you almost don't even have to think about it because it's like it, it's just getting the kick. It's yeah. not canceling out my snare, it's not canceling out my toms. That is definitely something phase-wise. When you only have two mics, when you hit that phase switch, either you have toms or you don't have toms. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy to figure it out. Um, but with with that dynamic mic, I mean, it was just like, well, here's what it does. But it was funny. It, my kick instantly went to Sample Town. It was like kick, kick. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to have a dynamic mic in front of your kick drum. Oh, were you, uh, you were probably your... dampening it more than usual because it was a. a a dynamic, I mean, a condenser mic, right? It was giving you more ambience, so was that why you were padding it up, or that's just the vibe? Because I think you went from yeah, no padding know. or minimal padding to a pillar, right. right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so now I might actually open the bass drum back up. I mean, mm-hmm. it still has that pillow in it, but so anyway, so yeah, so hopefully that mic talk helped you guys with that sticking <laughs> exercise. You know, that's where I go instantly. I'm wondering, I mean, I'm going to stay on it for a second. Is this sound more what you actually hear when you're at the kit? Yes. Versus what you would hear if you were out in front of the kit, probably the other way. Yeah, yeah. This is this is closer to like, oh yeah, that's what that's what I thought my drum sounded like. Mm. Um, I also think that that slightly muffled sound is going to translate better to people's phones and their laptops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've realized that as much as I want to have nuance, most people that listen to me play drum set hear me either on a phone. Or at the best, they're like, no, no, I use my good AirPods, yeah. like the good ones. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's great, man. It's like a $40 in-ear monitor. Like, that's not, <laughs> you didn't throw in custom-molded UEs. Yeah. Like, uh, so I just, I don't know. I kind of dug it, and we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, but it wor- especially when, it's, when it comes down to exercises, exercises I don't think should be interrupted by overtone and the the toms ringing when you hit the bass drum, it's like you just have to have clarity. So mm-hmm. with this one, I just I muted things up. Now the cool thing with this exercise is this is the beginning. Now obviously I gave it to you guys at about I think it was at ninety BPM. That's not where I would start. Obviously I would want you to start way slower and really accept those e's and us. But after you get this down, think about where this thing can take you. Play it over quarter notes on the bass drum, two and four on the hi hat. Play it over a samba ostinato a tumbao, a bio, a polyrhythm, all those things that you could do with your feet. And this one exercise could get you comfortable with playing your accent on the downbeats. And then, oops, I added something extra, and now my right hand 
is on the place. It's not that it's it's not just ease and us. Ease and uh, ease and us are fine if we get to play with our left hand. Mm-hmm. It's that when you accidentally are on the right hand doing them, you know, or in triplet world, one kick drum, and now your right hand is on the second triplet partial. You're like, uh, I'd like to get out of here now. I don't get out of here. Um, so having that one double, either with a left hand or with a right hand, just to switch you back, if you could just practice the problem areas, they'll they won't be problems anymore. We should probably return to this type of topic with metric modulation. Like, what are the tools to keep yourself grounded when you go into those Ooh, type of things? Or absolutely, is really more. Yeah, more, for more sure. Really. Yeah, this is. I great. think more a simple idea, and then you could. Yeah, like you said, the foot pattern will change everything. The uh, melodies, you know, I mean, when I started going in these circular patterns, like snare, rack, floor, rack, snare, rack, floor, rack, snare, rack, floor, rack, flat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, God, my ear can't handle this. And so <laughs> I think that those things are super important. Find the weak links in your armor. Find the problems Take those problems out of your playing and create an exercise built out of that problem, and you'll never have that problem again. It's it's common sense, but as drummers, we're like, no, I think I'll just skip it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's got to <laughs> be something on YouTube that will allow me to never have to practice. Putting bass drums on the downbeat of fills is definitely one that I will never practice, even though I need to. And then I'll talk about my pick of the week, like playing hand drums i'd never worked on a left hand conga slap <laughs> like i just never did it mm-hmm. and i've been messing with it i'm like man why didn't i learn this 15 years ago because my right is decent you know i'm, I'm definitely not a yeah. professional percussionist but but you can get through it i can get the sound you know maybe yeah. seven times out of ten <laughs> but the left it's like <laughs> Ugh, what am i what is this device and i'm left-handed makes yeah. no sense <laughs> i still teach congas once a week i have one student i mean not right now in the quarantine but one student that just refuses to take lessons on, and I'm like, Elliot, I'm not a conga teacher. And it's like, I know, but you're the only one that can explain anything. So even though you learn it on YouTube right before you teach it to me, you still explain it really well. And I'm like, just go take lessons with somebody that does this for a living. But same thing. I remember learning that left hand slap and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, now I truly actually feel right handed because yeah. this is. I mean, you think it's like no, I'm playing with both hands. No, you're not. Not uh, not when it comes to the slap. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have a good resource to share with you at the end of the episode. Hopefully, <laughs> absolutely. I and I agree with you. Uh, I'm going to double your pick of the week. I, I know Paulo really well and good stuff. All right, so let's move forward. So hopefully, this exercise helps you guys. I didn't. There's a million of these. You could add one bass drum. It'll switch you over to the other hand. You could add an extra right instead of an extra left, like I did. But most importantly, start with one exercise. I would say this, could you do this in front of me right now? If Mike and I were standing on each side of your kit and I asked you to do this exercise, could you do it? Unless you've practiced it, I would assume no. Like you, how could you do something you haven't put any time into? And that's okay. But that's instead of just listening to it in a podcast and be like, no, I totally got that. Try it. Film it. Yeah. Film it and send it to me. And can you get rid of that anxiety that you can, that I can, it's palpable, that anxiety of the E's and the U's. Like, I can tell you're just gritting your teeth until you're getting back to the one. Like, can you get rid of that? Yep. That four bar itch. I can always hear your groove fall apart every fourth bar when you think, like, should I do something? Should I not? Well, it already passed me by. We're back into bar five. All right, everybody. Now it is time to do something else, but I don't have my little lineup pulled up, so Mike's going to tell you what that something else is. Well, it's our featured artist section, and rather than give a Wikipedia uh, entry of this 
this badass drummer's career. Um, Adam Deitch, his band Let Us, just dropped a new album um, just a few days ago on May, I believe, 7th. So if you haven't checked it out, the album is called Resonate by his band Let Us. And if you're not familiar with Adam Deitch, I don't think there's a better combination of true historian, true torchbearer of the art form, and just a high art, like exceptional artist. So his band is super funky. It's a lot of like throwback sort of Tower Power meets James Brown, meets some hip hop stuff. They're, They're very crafty about the way they kind of reference classics but still always giving it some sort of modern thing um this new record just kind of reeks of of tower power to me super funky super kind of gritty the recording is a little bit old school like heavily saturated Uh, i hadn't heard it until yesterday and i was just freaking out about how good this guy plays he was the drummer at he played the modern drummer festival i don't know when it was 2008 maybe same year as Shannon Forrest. And mm-hmm. I was already like, Shannon Forrest was my, you know, my my keeper of the, like, who can really play. Like, he's super okay. honest. When he hears someone that can really play, he says it. When he hears someone that, that can play, but he doesn't really feel it, he just says, good job, and you sound great. Well, he heard Adam play, and he went up to Adam's parents and said, this kid has got it. <laughs> like he actually sought out Adam's parents. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's really cool. That that modern drummer performance was so impactful to so many people because all of a sudden there's this guy that they feel like they can totally relate to. As he walks on stage, you're like, Well, there's no way this dude can play. And then and if he can play, it's just luck. I think that's that's it wasn't no way this dude can play. It was more if this dude can play it's just luck and and God-given talent. And then he started to speak. Yeah. And when he started dropping all the history bombs and letting you know, like, no, 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 I don't just play. I know the history of everything I'm doing. Then it was like, oh, wow, okay, so this is a product of hard work and true care for the craft and also zero care for, for like, trying to muscle it out and see, like, okay, who can shed? Who's got the chops? It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I do and I don't care. And he just played so wonderful and at that time i think that was right after or at least around the same time that the schofield album up all night came out Mm -hmm. and that's that was what caused me to be a fan of his in the first place it wasn't you know lettuce or or the stuff he what's his other one uh break science yeah break science i think he he performed with break science at the festival yeah Yeah. it, it was it was the schofield stuff so Let's give it a listen. So this is the opening cut off of Resonate. It's called Blaze. The whole record is currently streaming on the official Lettuce YouTube channel. If you want to just crank it or it's on you know every other digital outlet, I'm sure they have some merchandise you could purchase to support them. But let's check out some of Blaze. so good he he's somehow able to keep the energy moving forward but everything sits behind like that yeah. weird like it's so relaxed 
And he also is mature enough to not hit the things that we would not be able to not hit. We'd have to. Right. I mean, I, I, we would just be going like, and he's just going, but it's, it's just so tight and you don't know how to get that sound. It's like, well, if, if I crank my drums up, I will pass him up like sonically. I will go higher than him, but how are his drums so tight and funky and just, he just knows the history, like you said. Yeah. He knows what those drummers played. He knows everything about it. And you can hear it in his playing. Yeah, this record, actually all of the Lettuce records, I think, are, are master classes in play-alongs. Like, play along and, mm. and not just jam to it. Play along and try to do what he does. And like you said, mm. you're going to be shocked how little he's really doing other than just, like, servicing that pocket. It's unbelievable. Right. And when he finally does commit to, like, playing a figure with the band... Uh, like I think it's is it the second track? It's either the second or the third track. There's this little phrase that they go into where it totally sounds like odd time, but it's a two bar phrase, mm. and he's hitting the snare on the one, and you're just going like, "Wait, is this in seven? Is this in <laughs> three? Wait, what's going on here?" And he just when he does do something in unison with the band, he does it in such a creative way, but still you can bob your head through the whole thing. And even when I was trying to, fit, I was like, "What time signature is in?" And I thought. Well, it's definitely not in seven or nine because I'm bobbing my head through the whole thing. So it's either in three or five, four. And then I was like, or it's in four, four because he's just so displaced. And I was right. like, damn, what a stud. What a yeah, stud. So super. There's even a track called Indugu on there. So again, mm-hmm. he's always referencing the Titans of Groove. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Can we drop in just the tiniest bit of that up all night stuff? Um there's a track called Watch Out for Popo. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm just telling you, this. I don't, we have to put this in because this track changed a lot for me. Like, this was, at the moment, I'm, God, I wish. So this was posted March 6, 2010, but it's not by Adam and it's not by John Schofield. So I don't know when this actually came out. But this, to me, was modern drumming. When I heard this, I thought, Okay, that's what I want to learn, and that's where I put my focus. 2003. Okay, yeah. All right, let's drop it in. I found it. a year older than me and his career is like decades decades <laughs> deeper than mine he's decades deeper than most people that are in their 70s that dude's you, the Adam. man right, but I, me- move on. <laughs> I remember hearing that and just thought like what is going on there and this is uh you said that was 2003 at least that's what the verve records release says um yeah and i, I remember just thinking like how do i get my drums to sound like that and now, I think yeah, he actually so you talked be, about thinking it. About the Uber, the Uber. There was an earlier record that he was on when he was with Schofield. I think. This oh, okay. Was like, you know what? I'm guessing. Let's just find out. You, you talk, and I'm going to do some research. <laughs> Adam Deitch, drummer for Lettuce, played with artists like John Schofield. 
eats wild boar and mushrooms for dinner. You can find him practicing his archery skills. Okay, Uber Wednesday Jam evenings. was 2002. Bump was 2000, works for me. So he was on Uber Jam, I believe. Okay. Yep, he's on Uber Jam. So that's 2002, January 2002. And then this was 2003. Yep. Okay. So the dude is a bad mamma jamma. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and I remember thinking at that time, like, I had, I mean, that's still in prime. I was still touring at that time with a 22 by 18 and 16 inch floor toms and 22 inches crashes. And I was just thinking, how do you get that sound? And because the thing is, for me, a bop kit was always tuned like a bop kit. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd never seen somebody dare to put a pillow in an 18-inch bass drum. It's like illegal. And then getting this like tight, punch, punchy sound. And I, I remember hearing it, too, on uh, who's uh, – oh, man, the vibe player, Stefan Harris. Mm-hmm. Right. Terry on Gully was yep. on a record with him and it similar sound. And I was like, what is this? Is it a 10 inch snare? Like, where do I get this? Do I have to go back and find my old Pearl Piccolo, put some gaff tape on it? <laughs> so I, you know, Adam's been a very inf- influential player to me for a, a long time. And then obviously through that, I had to find out who the drummer was. And then when I started getting into lettuce albums, especially when rage came out, I was like, well, okay, this is, mm. this is a game changer, you know, because we had Soul Live at the time, but there was something different about Lettuce. It was like almost like how do you give Soul Live more energy? Make yes. them lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like yes, exactly. They were digging a little bit deeper. Soul Live I felt had a certain buttoned up sound. Still very cool, but it felt related to kind of jazz in a little closer way. It was okay. I, I've seen Soul Live probably five or six times and but I could only see him at Yoshi's. And it was okay that we sat down. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that bad that we were sitting down. There's no way I want to sit down watching Lettuce. No. I don't think you could sit down or see the stage through the haze. (laughs) (laughs) Of Hairspray, because there's a lot of 80s fans that go to Lettuce shows. Mike's talking about there's a lot of Aquanet in the air. All right. So check out Lettuce's new album. Check out Adam (laughs) Dice. Good point. Okay. I'm just... My leaf of choice is green tea, and you guys know that, so we're moving on. You're up. <laughs> All right, so let's check out some products. Let's check out the um, – I reviewed the new Sabian AAX Thin models that they added to the lineup. So the AAX has been around for a while, which is their their modern, bright B20 line. Um, I think it's – you, know, you, get, you can get the Brilliant Finish or the Natural Finish. They sent me all Brilliant Finish of these. Um, and I feel like it just it these symbols are the most Sabian of Sabian stuff I've heard in a long time. When I play these, like this is when I think of a Sabian sound, this is exactly it. It's just clean, it's precise, it's not super bright or harsh or glassy, it's not dark and wolfy, it records perfectly. Right. Um so I got what did they send me? They sent me I think sixteen and eighteen inch and twenty inch thin crashes. And then they also sent some 14-inch medium hi-hats. So we'll, we'll check out the crashes. The hi-hats will be in there as well. And then later in the clip, we're going to compare, I think it's the 20-inch crash to AX crash to the 20-inch HHX crash. Um, okay, so yeah, this will be, you'll hear the 16-inch crash, the 18-inch crash, the 20-inch crash. These are all the new AAX thins. 
Okay, so I feel like when a producer is thinking about a drum set in his head, general pop rock producer, mm-hmm. those are the symbols that are already in his ears. Yeah. Those are just like, I, like he probably has a full sample bank of those, but doesn't even know it. Yeah. He's like, you know, just symbols. It's like, man, they just sound great. They're crystal clear. Like you said, I think like when you said glassy, that gives people a really good image in their head, but glassy without depth is just to me, brittle sounding. Yeah. They still have yeah. the depth, you know, especially that ride. That's the one thing that's really tough. How do you get a glassy sounding ride that's really, really clear with tons of articulation, but yet you played now, obviously if you guys weren't watching, you couldn't see it, but you did a lot of crashing on the side of that ride mm-hmm. and it never sounded like you were playing a thick ride symbol. It actually opened up like you could crash on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think maybe in the intro I said they were crashes. So it was 16, 18, 20 inch thin crashes. And then in the second chunk of that, it's a 21 inch thin ride AAX and then a 21 inch thin ride HHX. Uh, Mike and I both agreed the AAX just sounded better. I mean, more balanced I was, and more like what you would want for a thin ride, I thought. Totally. I was surprised. I mean, it, you know, kudos to marketing, but in our minds, it's like, well, HHX, that's, mm-hmm. it's hand hammered, and then they put an X on it. That, yeah, that the, makes it even better. F- to me, the, the HHX, AAX, is, that sounded amazing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just more balanced. The HHX still sounded good, but it, it when you crashed it, you got some of that mid-range hum that, yeah. that I necessarily don't want when I crash a ride, which, you know, it's not a crash ride. You shouldn't be doing that anyway, but it's a thin ride, so I figured, why not? But the AAX I, felt like I, it could do it all. I kind of feel like that everyone needs to have a setup just like this, no matter how artsy you want to be. You have to keep in mind, no matter how artsy you want to be, it doesn't mean the people that hired you want you to be that artsy. <laughs> yeah, I generally wait so, for someone to be like, okay, we got something different. Like, I'll start right. with something clean and normal, and then it's like, it will it totally. Work? If it works, then let's not change it. Let's not force your super trashy, distorted sounding crashes. <laughs> they don't need to be in there. Yeah. I know you buried them in your backyard for six <laughs> months. It's great. We couldn't care less. Do you have any saving AAX crashes? <laughs> Can we? Could you just get a crash symbol, please? That's awesome, man. Those were really impressive. Yeah. So check it out if you're looking for just really beautiful sounding symbols. I think could could work in just about any situation. Maybe not your super like traditional straight ahead jazz, but I don't know. That AX Thin Ride sounded like some 50s Blue Note records a bit to me. Yeah, and I, I think you'll be surprised to pleasantly surprised with like the AAX price point is always one of those things where like, uh, this is kind of a no brainer. Yeah. You know, and I didn't know that AAX is, I mean, I obviously don't have a wealth of Sabian knowledge, but I didn't know that AAXs were B20 bronze. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just for any of you guys that don't know much about the bronze stuff and the mixture of, tin uh that's giving you like that is as good as it gets b20 bronze all the highest end symbols that you're buying and playing they're b20 bronze so that's really cool yep beautiful stuff check them out sabian ax thin models and then the hi-hats were the mediums they didn't send the thins but those also just sounded really nice good all-purpose awesome any gig kind of symbols check them out all right, you ready to get into some audio listener questions? Yes, we've got a batch of them. We've got we've got five here. We'll see how many we can get through. Where are we at time wise? Um, we're not going to get through them all, so let's pick a couple. <laughs> you pick one. You choose. All right, we're going to start with the smallest file size. So we're going to start with <laughs> Larry Nagel. Hi, Mike and Mike. This is Larry from Rochester, Michigan. 
My question is about the concept of playing ahead of or behind the beat and how you guys might approach this on one of your musical projects. When I hear discussions about a drummer playing ahead of or behind the beat, what's usually missing is a definition of exactly what the beat is. Let's say you're being asked to play with a behind the beat feel. Do you approach this within the drum set itself, like pulling snare back relative to the bass drum? Or do you play everything slightly behind the rest of the band? I'm especially curious how you do this if there's no click as a point of reference. For example, if you're pulling back the time, how do you make sure the rest of the band doesn't adjust along with you and cancel out the feel you're trying to achieve? I really appreciate everything you guys do with the podcast and on social media, and I hope you and your families are healthy and safe. Thank you. Okay, so that's a question that gets brought up all the time. Uh, First of all, Larry, you should have a podcast. That's the voice that should be on this podcast. I think you just hypnotized everyone. (laughs) My God, that was beautiful. It was buttery and smooth and love it. Okay, so that question gets brought up all the time because it's such an obvious question of like, well... So is playing behind the beat mean I just play slower? No, that actually drag. You, you said it. It'll drag everyone back because people will start following you. So there has to be a reference. And even if you had a click, if the band couldn't hear that click, then you're just playing slower than everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's something about being able to pull something back in, in your drum set. So having your hi-hats be totally on top and your kick and snare are slightly behind that reference point, to me, I'm not at that level to ever do that. I'm still trying to just play my drum set in time. So I'm not going to purposely take <laughs> something out of time yet. Uh, even when I spoke to Ash Sohn about this, he was like, I have one or two memorized grooves that I can do that on, and I still don't feel that comfortable doing it. So it is such an advanced concept. It's not like Questlove is just winging it, uh, you know, people that do it can really do it and they've put a lot of effort into learning how to do it now what's the difference between that and then when somebody says yeah he's just really on top of the beat i mean what do you because they're not playing one bpm faster than the band i this is a really difficult question for me to answer because i think and i was this person if you're asking that question you're not ready for it um Mm -hmm. but in my experience, when someone says just to get on top of it, it means you're going to play slightly ahead of everybody else. Not faster, okay. just your attacks are going to, everything's going to hit just a little bit before everybody else. Okay. Or the opposite. If, if, if I think behind the beat is the more trickier one because then you just sound like you're dragging. It's more like, um, actually, uh, uh, Kevin Murphy teaches mm. um, how to get the snare drum to sit behind the beat. So everything else is dead on time, but you actually flam it, like purposely play a flam with yeah. the grace notes staying on time. Therefore, the main note's going to be millisecond. So we're talking a nearly imperceivable millisecond right. difference. If you're going to like 64th notes and stuff, then you're just right. you're just off. You're out of time. So I think it's not something to even think about. I think it's something to feel. I know on gigs for me, when I feel like something's sitting in the right spot, it's like a rubber band. Like the mm. like I'm stretching the backbeat as far as I can to where it's still right, but it's just mm. elongated. Yeah. But I wouldn't just I wouldn't mess around with that until you can until you can hear micro changes in, in subdivision. Yeah, I think I think that's the perfect point. If you can't hear it, don't do it. You know, and you have to be able to hear it. Um, just like fills if. If you are like, well, I don't really hear anything, but here comes one. Like you shouldn't have done one. Yeah, it should it should be coming out of you naturally. The other thing I think is, 
it comes down to a package deal. Some people literally, they think they are completely on time. They just feel things a little bit slower than the rest of the band. And it just, it creates this thing that it's like, that's just what it sounds like. I mean, a good example would be when you listen to some of those Lenny Kravitz records, like when Lenny plays drums on his own albums, it's just how he feels drum set. Mm -hmm. He's not a drum set player. So he just has like his own set of rules. The other thing is, comes down to tones too you're gonna sound fatter and more behind the beat with a low tuned kit you put somebody on a cranked up bop kit and be like now pull us back a bit it's gonna be like <laughs> kink, kink, yeah kink, that's true yeah kink. the shortness of your kit is gonna affect the perception for sure totally and i and i i remember <laughs> listening to phil collins given uh uh an interview and they were saying they were asking him about time but this was like in the mid 80s so they weren't talking about behind the beat or anything like that and he was just they were saying you know we noticed that now that you have your solo project you're doing a lot of ballads how how do you change your drumming from brand x to genesis to mm. now playing ballads and he said i pretty much play the same the only thing that i've really changed is the last three notes of every fill i slow down the tiniest bit and i hit the crash a little bit after the one and then I spend the next three or four bars catching back up to the beat. So mm. if you listen to me against a click, it's not perfect. And I was like, what? That was incredible. But you and could hearing never him play in that because he's, he's following his vocal phrasing. You can't, totally. you can't like write that out in a lesson. Like this week, we're no, going to no, learn no. how to compress your God, no. fills and elongate your first <laughs> yeah. bar. And you have six bars to catch back up <laughs> that two milliseconds that you pulled back. No, I mean, and... I think that that comes down to like what you said. He's also a singer, songwriter, producer that's sitting in the control room listening to himself against the click. Like, oh, I didn't even know I did that. Yeah. But it was flat. So I think uh, you just have to keep practicing and playing. If you can play in perfect time, you'll probably be able to mess with the time. But until then, keep keep trying to be on the beat. Yep. All right. Let's go to uh, one more. Katie Shaw or Kate Shaw. Sorry. Hi, this is Kate. I'm thinking of moving my drum kit into the garage, but I'm concerned that the heat and humidity will damage the drums. I know temperature and humidity changes will mess up my tuning, but will my drums be okay otherwise? I live in East Tennessee, and the garage isn't temperature controlled. Um, that doesn't bother me, but it might bother my drums. I have one of the cheap Ludwig accent kits made in the mid-90s, so they're not super high quality. I do plan to bring my snare inside after practicing, but it, it, I'm less concerned about that because it's steel anyway. Thanks, and keep up the good work. So we have discussed this on the podcast before because this always comes up when we talk about re-rings and yeah. when did people start coating the inside of their drums with stuff like Silver Sealer and all of that. So what is your initial thoughts on what she asked? I think new drums, you're you're totally cool. I think you have to be a little bit concerned about humidity and steel parts rusting out over time. That would be the only thing I would really worry about. Or maybe the wrap, if it gets really hot, the glue in the wrap could maybe mm -hmm. melt and separate. But I don't think you're going to have any major issues. Um, it, I think it'd be better just to have your drums in a spot where you can go play them whenever you want versus in a perfect environment that you can only play every five days. Yeah, I I agree. And I also think with that Ludwig accent kit, you're not keeping it for resale value, you know, so it's, it's not like some precious kit from the 1930s or 1940s where it's like, just what Mike said, put it wherever you can play it the most and it'll be fine. And just pay attention to it. Just give it a look over every once in a while, a little look-see, make sure that like Mike said, there's no rust, 
from the humidity, but I think for the most part, you'll be just fine. Yeah, I used to uh, I used to practice in my parents' attic, which had no insulation. In the summer, it would be a sauna up there, and my mm-hmm. export kit was, you know, pristine for the whole time. Nothing happened to it, so yeah, I, man. I think it would be okay. I practiced in a trailer in a parking lot for my entire touring career. When my band would load out, then I would set up my Yamaha uh, Manukache kit, and I'd set up in the trailer after we had loaded out, and I just practice in whatever parking lot we were touring in. It'd be Texas in the middle of the summer. And I could awesome smell my own that. skin like <laughs> burning as I was just sitting in this tin box in a parking lot going sweating. I just come out of there, lost eight pounds. Uh, and that kit, uh, you know, I think one of my uncles has it. I, it. It was totally fine. And the only it's funny, I was going to ask you because I've never experienced this, but I have experienced wrap problems with direct sunlight, but I've never experienced it from just heat alone. Mm-hmm. So when I left my bass drum in the back of my car and it was a hatchback then the bass drum wrap bubbled up and i was like mm-hmm. ah, damn it because it was just sitting in direct sunlight outdoor gig same thing but just from being in that trailer the yamaha wrap never came off never bubbled at all because yeah, it probably doesn't get as hot as you think i mean you need to get right. it like 200 degrees for that thing yeah to really be a problem yeah. <laughs> if i'm still here if I, if I didn't die it was fine it was a little warm, but I'm all right. All right, so keep sending in your questions. We do have more audio questions to get to next week. We have a bunch of text or email questions, so we'll get to those as well. But for now, we're going to wrap this thing up with our dual pick of the week, but I will let you take it away, sir. Um, yeah, so I didn't know you had any um, history with, with this. So I was sent a site to check out for review um, by my good friend Damon Grant. He's a friend of his, so it is called congachops.com. It's basically a beginner to maybe, I haven't gotten that far, upper intermediate or maybe somewhat advanced level on hand drum technique, on conga and, and timbales. Uh, it's really nice. So, And I have conga sitting next to my, on my computer in my home office, So, and I haven't played them in years. So I was like, all right, let me crank them up and see what, and within... You know, within the first three chapters, I'd already been practicing more congas than I have in in years. That's when I realized my le- I never learned how to slap properly with my left hand. Right. I never learned how to tune the drums to the to the quote unquote correct intervals. I just kind of tuned them till they sounded good. So he has like tuning right. guides for different styles, and all the videos are just really nice. Um, I'm I'm blanking on his name. What's his name? Paulo. Paulo. So. Paulo um, and I have spoken many times through social media, so we DM each other quite a bit. He's been extremely supportive, and I've tried to help in any way I can with um, cameras or whatever he's going through. But I will say, I mean, I have I'm not like a I'm not involved in his website. I just it's kind of it's it's one of those things where when people reach out for online drum lesson help for me to help set up their online drum lesson business. It's a little weird, to be honest. I'm yeah, like, eh, for sure. I don't know how much I want to go out of my way here. When it's congas and it lives there, I'm like, yeah, man, I got you. Or guitar or bass. And I just remember thinking, like, dude, you're doing it the right way. Don't don't be distracting with tons of crazy backgrounds. Don't have 46 camera angles. Just Just do it really well. And he's really good at doing it. And I will say this. The one thing that I teach is I'm teaching my student how to fit into, like, a standard pop group. So really, my student's playing a lot of almost like drum set parts on the congas. He's actually the only drummer there. He's the percussionist. So mm-hmm. he's kind of just doing these grooves that have a backbeat. When you go on to congachops.com, 
all of a sudden you start realizing how much music you can get out of one drum, two drums, three drums, because he's because Paulo's teaching you these traditional patterns. The problem I've seen in the past is people aren't willing to put their ego aside and actually get you into it. Yeah. Simply, they always have to prove how authentic they are. Like, all right, this is our tumbao, and it's like I'm like, oh, dog. So the first beat what? he teaches you after you go through the basic tones and all that is uh, "Rapper's Delight" by Sugar Hill Gang. Boom. And I heard that I'm like, yeah, I know that break, and I never actually learned it. And it's super easy. It's kind of like learning, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, a white stripe song as your first yeah. drum set groove like oh this isn't as hard as i thought so it, it i was glad that he did that instead of like instantly let's talk about history and let's talk about heritage and right culture. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, here's a song you've definitely heard here's a beat that'll work on pretty much any kind of a groove based song yeah. here it is so it's a really good site i'm going to be practicing a lot more hand drums uh, congachops.com check it out awesome all right everybody well thank you guys so much for listening i hope you're enjoying our new tuesday release schedule I'm going to start, well, I've got a live virtual shed starting in 45 minutes. And then, uh, and now our students are part of it where they're doing the virtual shed for five minutes and we play their video. And so the students oh, cool. are trading with the students. It's just awesome. So since this is coming out tomorrow, I can spoil the surprise now. Jack Berry from the UK is our featured student this time. Nice. It should be a lot of fun. And then uh, start prepping for this camp. So I will see you in a week, my friend. All right. So we're going to have uh, my buddy Jason over in um, England. He, he's got a mic'd up kit with some low volume Zildjian practice hi-hats, an SPD, and he's using a Roland KD7 kick pad. So this is a quarantine beat from my good buddy Jason. Love it. Awesome. Later, bud. See you.